0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored that you have made the wise decision to invest in yourself and tune in today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we help business creators and entrepreneurs like you win the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Be sure to check out our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Which is one of the longest continuous running weekly entrepreneurial podcasts you'll find. We have a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. Also be sure to subscribe on your favorite, on your favorite syndication network. We're on most of them and that way you'll get fresh content delivered to your queue every single week. Now today's going to be interesting because this is one of those days, and this is what makes being a business creator so interesting at times, is for some reason the connectivity guides are not working in our favor. Uh hopefully the audience here is me just fine. We uh our normal connection that we do the episodes of business creators radio through, for some reason just don't want to play nice, so I'm on connection B. And one of the reasons that the business creators radio show And then I'm going to let you in on a little secret, folks. This is a little secret and you can take this home with you. One of the reasons the Business Creators Radio Show is done in an audio format and it has sort of the AM radio feel to it, is because when you are dealing with business creators, and particularly since a lot of our people uh who come and be guests on the show are either digital nomads or folks who don't work from a traditional office, is people can show up looking all different kinds of ways. I think one of the most interesting episodes we ever did is when our guest was actually on top of an airport hangar, and you could hear the jets flying over as he was answering the questions. It was one of our really fun interviews, and I think uh, that was one of those interesting scenarios. And then we had another one where a woman was calling in as our guest, and she was literally in the jungle somewhere in South America. So – we can get, we can have people coming in from all over the world, just like our listeners from all over the world. So today is my day to be in a little bit of an exotic location, so to speak. And this is going to be a great framework within to discuss the coaching effect. And what the coaching effect is comes down to is that some of the best managers behave like coaches, supporting, teaching, and challenging their team members to achieve their goals, and after studying over 100,000 coaching interactions, today's guests have identified some specific behaviors and activities that top-performing coaches use to lead effectively. The name of their book is called The Coaching Effect, and our guests today, to share this with you, are named Bill Ekstrom and Sarah Worth. These guys are fantastic, and they're going to tell you a little bit about it in a moment, but first of all, I want to introduce them. Bill and Sarah, come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs)
1: <laughs> thank you, uh, Adam. It's yeah. nice to be
0: a part, and thank you very much for having us today. Yeah, And you bet. What also makes this show unique is we actually have two guests today. Normally we have one. So this is one of those episodes, like I say in the introduction of my book, Groundhog Days and the on a Business Strategy, where it just seems like we're breaking all the rules. And first <laughs> rule is normally I read off the official bio that the guest gives me. But the challenge is today we have two guests, and together they have a little bit of a story. So we're going to skip right to the part where I would say to the guests, you know, I just read off your bio, this is very impressive, and what we'd like to do now is turn it over to you and have this tell, you, t- tell our listeners a little bit about your journey and what brought you to the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So Bill and Sarah, that's going to be my question to you today is tell us a little bit about your journey and what has brought the two of you together to where you're serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion through the coaching effect?
1: You know, it's a, it's actually, uh, Adam, it's a very interesting question. And um, the irony is that Sarah and I, although it was never intended, and Sarah, I don't think you and I have ever been asked this question the way Adam has worded it. Um, and you, you and I certainly haven't rehearsed this, but um, we are together, working together, uh, passionate about what we do, passionate about the coaching effect, and the coaching effect is so much more than just a book, obviously, but um, the reason we're together is because Sarah and I both got fired from our previous employer. And, Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so that, uh, w- which is kind of weird in the sense to be able to say that, hey, we both got fired, and now look at us—we're—we we're happen to be together working on the same things. Um, actually, from the same same employer, uh, but at different times. So anyway, that's uh, the route that brought us together, and I'll let Sarah expand a little bit how it's impacted us and what we do and how we do it. But Sarah, what would you say to that question?
2: Yeah, it's as Bill noted noted um, at the beginning of our call. It really is about um, being able to get people in a different spot. And, and part of us and having this journey of, of getting fired from an employer, it gets you outside your comfort zone. It, it forces you to do something different. It forces you to learn something different. Uh, and it forces you to really step up in ways that you hadn't before. And that's, and that's ultimately what our journey is about, of, of building our skills in completely different ways and, and creating this organization that studies great leaders uh, and then being able to help those leaders challenge themselves and challenge their team members to do something different, to get outside their comfort zone, to grow and develop in new ways. That's what the coaching effect is about, uh, and it's definitely been propelled forward by our personal journey of having to get out of our own comfort zone.
0: Yeah, and, you know, and I've looked into some of the work that you guys have done through the Excel Institute, which is a company you're both involved in now, and that's spelled for our listeners, E-C, and then capital S-E-L-L, Excel Institute, which, as I understand, is a research-based organization that works with leaders internationally to help them better understand, measure, and elevate coaching's impact on performance. So what's really exciting about hearing from Bill and Sarah today is we're going to actually be looking at the efficacy of coaches and how they can coach more and manage less, and I think that's going to be a very important thing in our, especially in our workplaces and our virtual organizations and our entrepreneurial ventures, is coaching more and managing less, and I really love that formula of what we're going to be talking about today. So. You named your book, the book that you wrote together, called. you named it The Coaching Effect. Tell us, what's that all about? Go ahead, Sarah.
2: So The Coaching Effect is about the idea of a really effective manager behaving more like a coach than like a manager. As we started to study what made managers really great and the ones that were achieving better results with their team, They didn't function in traditional management ways. It wasn't all just about process and structure and, you know, working on strategy and then making sure that that strategy came to life. It was more about the relationships that they were developing with their team members. It was more about how they were getting their team members to grow and develop and and really expand their skills in new ways. So, as you study you know, where coaching is traditionally existing in the, in the sports arena, you see those head coaches of teams really developing relationships and, and challenging and building their team member skills so that they can excel in performance. And that's what the best coaches do even inside of a work environment, a, a business environment. Uh, and so that's what we started to really get excited about studying is this, this coaching effect and, and managers really behaving more like a coach than just a manager.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really powerful concept, and it's one of those things like – and this is one of the underlying principles of my book, which is Groundhog Day and Event – excuse me, Groundhog Days an Event, Not a Business Strategy, is that sometimes it's those little shifts that can make a big difference. And one of the elements of the spring formula is about little shifts in language that we make. So just by making a slight redefinition and focusing on the coaching aspect – either as opposed to or more than the management effect, we can create an entirely different frame about how we work with people, how we supervise people, how we motivate people, and how we get people working toward the common goal. Now, in your work, you have studied more than a 100,000 coaching interactions. And this research, if you guys are telling me a little bit about in the green room, led to several discoveries. So if you wanted to share a couple of those with us, I know that there were one or two I think that really surprised you and I thought the stories were pretty interesting and it'd be great for our listeners as well.
1: hmm Um all star Sarah if that's okay. The sure. uh, you know, as as I think we said in the book, the one that surprised certainly me, and I think I it would be the same for Sarah but I'll let her comment, um, was the discomfort factor. We knew relationships were important, and, and that's certainly one of the drivers of team performance and growth. We knew, you know, having a strong order, systems, processes, and tools in place, you know, that was foundational to growth as well. But there was something that was missing, and the more we studied it, the more we realized that great, the greatest coaches. Um, and I'll even use that term as opposed to leader, not just manager. But the greatest coaches right. created a, a an aura, an environment of healthy discomfort, because they either intuitively or perhaps uh, scientifically understand that the only way growth occurs is in a state of discomfort, and. It's not as simple as just saying, "Hey, well, that's really cool." So therefore, I'm going to challenge my people, make them uncomfortable, and they'll grow. Other things have to be surrounded with it. But ultimately, in terms of what was the biggest surprise, and that we communicate in in the coaching effect, is that concept is is one of that being one of the concepts that growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. And sir, I don't know I mean- what 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 else was surprising to you.
2: Yeah, and, and to follow on to that, I think another surprise that we had was just about the depth of the relationships that these great coaches have with their team members. It's not just that they care about them and, and have a good rapport. They really know them. Their team members feel like their manager really understands who they are, you know, can. Knows their goals personally and professionally, um, can read them, know when they're having a really tough day and be able to, to step in and, and help support them in those moments. Their, their coaches really get them on a deep level. And, and that's important because as Bill just talked about, we also know the best coaches are great at getting people outside their comfort zone, but you can only do that really effectively if you first have built a strong trust relationship. So as you can imagine, if you're trying to push somebody and challenge them and and really, you know, get them to perform in a way that they never have before, if they don't feel like you really know them and care about them and have their best interests at heart, uh, it's going to be tough to do that. And so the depth of the relationship was also, I think, a really good discovery in terms of what separates the best coaches from others.
0: Yeah, and – Those are some very interesting observations you've made there. Uh, One of which really comes out is the relationship between being in a comfort zone or feeling having a sense of comfort and the extent to which you're able to grow and change. And also, just this idea of the feeling that there needs to be a relationship between management or the coach and the team or the employee member. And I can think of some experiences in my own life where I've worked for people, and I'm thinking, "Wait a minute, we've been together for how long?" And you, this is what you're saying or what you're expecting? Do you actually know my name?
2: <laughs>
0: it's like there's that much, there's that much of a disconnect. Um, yeah. And I don't want to. I know you guys have a lot to share with us today, so I don't want to take up too much of today with my stories. Plus, uh, plus, I'm really got my fingers crossed here. I'm having my uh, do the interview from the top of an airport hangar moment today, so we want to make sure we get through this. But I do have some stories around that that are pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, I bet. Well, and, and that's I, I think the best coaches, you know, they do, and, and team members get that. They pay attention to it. I, I remember we had a conference one time, um, and we were talking about leadership and the importance of relationships, and one of the attendees at our conference challenged his boss you know, write, right publicly. He said, do you oh, know the names of my kids? Um, <laughs> and, and unfortunately the, the, the leader couldn't say yes to that. Uh, and, and that's, you know, and, and that was, that was tough for that team member. His family's really important for, to him. And, and the fact that his boss, you know, didn't know the names of his kids, you know, that's something that is actually demotivating to him. So people certainly pay attention to that.
0: Yeah, I can, I mean, I found that a lot of folks, when it really comes down to it, people I know who have worked for companies, people who have come and gone through various jobs, that is a theme that comes up again and again where they say that the reason they left or the reason they're glad they're gone or what have you is because for all the blood, toil, tears, and sweat they put in, some moment came up where it became clear that the management didn't even know who they were as a person. And that just was such a dehumanizing thing that they felt the need to move on. It may seem like a small item because, come on, man, it's your paycheck. Go do your job and that's it. But the reality is, is that just the way we seem to be wired as human beings, as business creators, as professionals, is that what we do for our work or for our business becomes in a way part of our identity because it is an important element of how we serve the world through our brilliance and our passion. And when we give our brilliance and our passion, and then they don't even know your kid's name, yeah, that's kind of a gut punch.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it is, Adam. And and I think too many people, even today, consider this the soft side of coaching or the soft side of leadership or management. And the reality is it's not. Um, It's just that simple. It is not soft. It is... It is factually, um, it's something we can scientifically and factually prove that it, because it's measurable now. And once things become measurable, they're no longer soft. So to say, oh, come on, being nice to my team or really understanding who they are as people um, or caring about them, not just as an employee but as a person or knowing the names of their kids, it matters and we can show it matters and if they don't do it, if people really don't start to behave like a high-performance, high-growth coach, those people go away. They lose those people. And that's one of the biggest challenges uh, that we see the businesses face today, um, identification and acquisition of talent, the ability to hold that talent on your teams, the ability to develop that talent. Um, and, and that's something they're all facing. So people really need to understand that these are not soft skills, but these are hard skills that can be measured and that should be measured to understand the impact that their current existing managers are having on the performance.
0: Yeah. And what's what's important to bear in mind is a lot of the listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show are folks that have stories like that where they worked in a corporate setting or they worked for somebody else and, They recognized that there was just sort of a disconnect from their personality and versus how they were appreciated and how they were perceived in their workplace. And at the same time, we also have business creators who lead teams and lead organizations and they tune every, tune in every week so they can get the leading edge when it comes to things like you, Bill and Sarah, are sharing with us today. And I got to tell you that. I do a lot of work in this area myself, and this is actually the first time that I have heard these types of things being identified as being hard skills, or at least not soft skills, and something that can be scientifically proven. I mean, yeah, I've had an awareness that all matter of employee satisfaction issues can be measured, but just to hear that this particular thing is being measured scientifically, this illustrates how important it is to recognize the impact, especially when you look at how people who do the corporate hustle or who do a career path as opposed to an entrepreneur path view who they are and what they bring. In a, way, in a sense, their career is like their own marketing effort. They have their LinkedIn profile. Many of them have their own websites. And in some cases, we're actually starting to see them getting books published featured on Amazon and attaining international bestseller status as the new business card. So we have people going through those links to brand themselves personally for the value they'll bring to your company. You've got to think that they're looking at from the perspective that their career is one extended marketing campaign and they're going to stay with you as long as you appreciate their value and you give them the space to serve from their brilliance and their passion. And if they – Feel that's not the case. They probably are already in contact with your competitor, who will be your, who will be their next employer, whether you like it or not. <laughs> that's that's so true. Um,
1: and and we, we see that it really well. Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll shut it off there. But I'll let you ask the questions.
0: All right. Uh, so let's move on to uh, another area here. You've also identified three specific behaviors that these top-performing coaches use to lead their teams effectively. So, tell us a bit about that. Go ahead, Sarah. So, our
2: three our three specific behaviors that we see coaches do differently, the best coaches do differently, are they're building a relationships. So, in our equation, that's the our performance equation. That's the R's relationship. Um, right. Order. That's the O in our performance equation. And then C is complexity. Uh, and when coaches bring those three elements together, relationship, order, and complexity, and can have uh, good good structure and, and, and good uh, performance in each of those areas, that's where we really see the performance of their teams take off. So uh, some of what we've been talking about in terms of building relationships uh, really really amps up that particular theme on our on our um, equation and within our performance surveys. When you have better relationships, you have that trust, you have that ability to to know how to push and motivate and challenge people. Um, But it's not just that. You also have to make sure that you bring order to how they actually perform. So you have to make sure that they have clarity regarding expectations and clarity regarding what they're supposed to be doing in order to meet those expectations. And then you've got to have the complexity. And that's all about pushing people outside their comfort zone, asking them to stretch, asking them to grow, and asking them to take on challenges that they probably didn't even realize that they could take on and that they could achieve. And when you bring those three elements together of relationship, order, and complexity, that's where we see really great coaching relationships happen.
1: And what I would add to that um, is – Every coach, every manager, every leader does that today. Whether they know it or not, they have a relationship Mm -hmm. with everybody on their team, but they don't know how good or bad it is. They create order amongst their teams. They create those disciplines, those structures, those processes, the things that Sarah talked about. They have that in place. Whether they're good, bad, healthy, or unhealthy, they don't know. And to some degree, everybody creates this complexity. And when we use that, that term complexity, we're, we're talking about these, these are environments that, that coaches create. Complexity is not an environment that's um, – you don't want to think of it in terms of complicatedness, but think of it in terms of something that's uncomfortable uh, where there are unknown outcomes or someone, to use it simplistically, I've been pushed outside of my comfort zone. So every coach does that or a lack thereof to some degree. And that's why we've identified those themes because they're not only in place with every single coach we measure, um, we can give them an the outcome. We can actually score coaches on their effectiveness in those areas on a scale of 1 to 100. And when I know a score, when a coach knows a score, when a manager or leader knows a the score, they know then the areas. And how, or, or excuse me, how to improve those scores, and the result is always more, more team performance.
0: Yeah, you know, Bill, what was going through my mind when I heard you describing the relationship aspect of this is, you said something to the effect of, regardless of what you think or regardless of what you perceive, that if you are in a management or a coaching relationship with somebody who works for your organization, you have a relationship with them. What crossed my mind is. Yeah, and what kind of relationship is that? Uh, if you don't know the names of their kids, you have a relationship with them, all right, but it's sort of uh, uh, dysfunctional might be a very mild way of putting that.
1: Yeah, it, oh, doesn't, I mean, it doesn't change the fact there's
0: a relationship.
1: Right. I mean, and Sarah, Sarah studies this stuff. Um, I should say she's privy to our research. She sees when she works with our clients, because she's our VP of client service, So when when we do these research studies, when we get back verbatim comments from employees that talk about their managers, I mean, Sarah sees these comments all the time. So she's really, I don't know, Sarah, I'd say deeply rooted in how critical that relationship factor is because you see a lot of those words that come out of employees' mouths
2: absolutely and and they they pay so much attention to that i think sometimes as managers as coaches we just assume that you know everybody's working hard and getting their stuff done and whether or not i've talked to you within the last week or whether you know i remembered to ask you about your two week vacation that you've been saving up years to take um doesn't matter you know it just doesn't matter it's you know that's 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 not what we need to focus on in order to become better leaders but What our research shows is that it absolutely does, and when you feel like your manager cares about you and knows you as a person, you produce more, and so we see comments on our surveys all the time where people will say things like, you know, my manager doesn't seem to really get me. They don't seem to really listen to me when we're in our one-to-one. You know, they never ask me about myself personally. They point that stuff out, um, and it it shows that it matters to them in in terms of their performance.
0: Yeah, you know, I worked for this one company a long time ago, and I had kind of those basic expectations from management. And uh, I got to tell you, my own supervisor was very good at this stuff. Uh, He was, when I look back at, my trajectory and how things have evolved in the industry just 20 years ago. He was actually, I would say, sort of a pioneer in thinking about things like relationship order and complexity as a key component of the relationship with the people who work for you and viewing yourself not so much as a supervisor, not only as a supervisor, but also the mentor, as a coach, as a motivator, somebody who relates to people on a one-on-one level. Now, I, because I had this expectation, I guess, that people treat me like a human being, I found out that somebody in senior management in the company was running around saying I was high maintenance. And uh, my supervisor, the same one I just mentioned to you, related to me, well, you know, somebody in in senior management uh, goes around and says you're high maintenance. I just thought you should know that. And I said, well, which one is it? And he said, well, I, I can't tell you that. And I said, okay, well, there are six senior managers in this company. You just told me that one of them says I'm a high maintenance individual. So as far as I'm concerned, they're all stuck up. They're all assholes with sticks up their rear ends. So <laughs> see, I, I, I can play that game too. And that is the kind of reaction you're going to get from people when you show that you don't care as a person. So some, I'm being told that some person whose name I don't even find out is Saying things, negative things about me that are actually the opposite of fact. Because the fact is, I simply, in all my interactions, whether it was with employers or with clients or what have you, I just simply say, to quote Winston Churchill, give me the tools and I'll do the job. But I am going to ask for the tools until I get them. Now, if that time maintenance, then let me know and I'll go somewhere else. But the fact that I'm telling you that, Seventeen years after it happened, I think proves your point.
2: Exactly. That's such a that's such a good summation of it. Absolutely. It sticks with people. They really they it matters to them how you treat them and the type of care and concern and relationship you build with them. It absolutely sticks with them.
0: Yeah, so I'm finding out one person out of six uh, of this group called senior management was saying bad things about me, and since I don't, they won't tell me which one it is. As far as I'm concerned, they're all running around saying it, and I view them all through that lens. And yep. you can say you can discuss all day long whether we say that's fair or what have you, but what it really comes down to is think about if somebody who is giving their brilliance and passion to your organization finds out that that's what you think about them. Well, what do you think is going to be the impact on their continued willingness and enthusiasm to really give their all when it comes to brilliance and passion to your organization? Uh, this mm-hmm. is right about the time when resumes start getting updated, LinkedIn profiles start getting updated, and we start looking at job descriptions to make sure that we are hitting every single one of those bullet points and staying very much within the realm of that job description because hey it's just a job.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and, the, and the good news, oh sorry, go, go ahead, Sarah,
0: ahead. You go.
2: I was just going to say the the good news is that there are things that you can do differently too because that's part of what we've studied is coaches who were at a certain stage in terms of their development and what they knew about effective coaching and then with investment and training and focus and intentional effort on becoming better, we would measure them a year later and see great growth. So the good news about it is that once you learn about these principles and once you learn about what team members are really looking for to be more motivated and to be more engaged and to perform better – you actually you can change that, and you can change your approach. And there's things you can do differently that are going to allow you to build a better relationship, establish good order, and and put them into complexity. So there are things that you can do to grow in that
0: regard. You know, I've got to ask. I've got to, Bill, Sarah. I have to ask you this. Um, we're about to move on to conversation about structured interactions and coaching through team meetings and one-on-one meetings and. Anybody who's read my book knows that I have some thoughts about meetings in general, so that'll be an interesting dialogue. But before I ask those, and if you can't answer this, that's okay, but we discussed some of the zingers we receive when we get the narrative feedback when you do your surveys and you do your research and organizations. I shared with you what I probably wrote on one of those surveys at some point. I said, Gee, you know, I come here and I pour my heart out and I find out that somebody in senior management is clucking about me being some sort of high-maintenance person. Well, there's your survey. I'm just curious, what is the most interesting (laughs) comment you've ever gotten, whether good, whether bad, what have you? Yeah, um,
1: about – Someone? Are you referring to someone commenting about their boss or or?
0: Yeah. Yes, yes. What? Yes. No. About their boss. One of those narrative comments in the you know tell it in your own words section. The anonymous feedback that comes back. As you said, that reading those things can be very interesting and very insightful. Because I mean, my company does surveys as well, and that's to us the most interesting part is reading what people say when you let them go free form. If you can tell me, what was the most interesting one you've ever seen somebody say about their boss? Well, (laughs)
1: I'm going to refer to this one. This is fascinating, I I thought. So um, there are a few open-ended questions we ask when when we're measuring coaching a human. Um, There are a few open-ended questions. One of the questions we ask is, what does your manager do best as a coach? And the response was, I don't know. I have never been coached.
0: Wow! <laughs> so that's one. Wow. Of that I about you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that that was one I I definitely remember. Another one that sticks out for me is somebody um, volunteered about their one to one meetings. They said, "I essentially the gist of it was." I don't think she's ever listening to me during our one to one. It's pretty clear that she's responding to email because I can hear the typing in the background. <laughs> imagine how effective that relationship is. So these
0: so these one to one meetings in this case, these were not these were not face to face. So right, exactly. they were over a telephone or over a Skype connection or a Zoom connection, but she could hear those keys clacking away in the background. Yeah, if I hear keys clacking away while I'm in a one-on-one conversation with somebody, unless we had an agreement of sorts at the beginning of our conversation that they were going to be taking notes on it, so I know that they're just typing stuff down so they have notes of the conversation, at best I'm going to say, oh, they're writing stuff down about me. I wonder what this is going to come back and boomerang on me later. That's the best-case scenario, and the worst case is, Oh, so they're zooming through email while having a conversation with me. Well, gee, don't I feel special?
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah and exactly. but it's a good point. And, and it's not that hard as, you know, anybody in that setting, whether I'm in a salesperson in a, on a sales call or whether I'm a coach in a one-on-one session with, with one of the people on my team, uh, it doesn't matter. If If I'm going to be on the phone, to do exactly what you say say hey listen if you hear clicking it's me taking notes because there are some important things that I don't want to miss about our conversation but to not say anything and to you know that day off, that's the worst case scenario of of everything this is oh great the returning emails that's how important i am
0: right i I, I i agree and, and if you pointed out bill you know just Stating up front that you're going to be taking some notes because you want to capture all those key important things creates an agreement for the call, and taking the nine seconds to make that statement makes all the difference in the world. It's it's funny how sometimes it's in those small things we get the big returns.
1: Well, it, you know, and that's, that point in and of itself, Adam, is huge. Ultimately, what coaching does and, and what we're – and, and I think we do need to segue, sir, as an expert at uh, what are the specific activities and behaviors that coaches, the, the great ones, the ones that, that produce, that have teams that produce the most what they do differently. But ultimately, one of the things I think it's important to mention that, that people forget is the responsibility of a coach is to create what we refer to, and in the book, The Coaching Effect, we talk about this, discretionary effort. And here's what I mean when I, when I use that term. We know that without a coach, a supervisor, a boss, a leader, a manager, without that person in place, people still come to work. People will still do their jobs. Right. And if you use sales as an, as an analogy, if a sales manager does not show up for work or goes on vacation or is not perhaps traveling with a salesperson, the salespeople still work. So, and they still sell stuff. And numbers are still produced. So the question is, if salespeople will still sell without a boss, how much more will they sell with that boss in place? That gap, that difference, is what we refer to as discretionary effort. Now, right. it's, not, it, it's easy to measure in salespeople in terms of dollars and cents, but you said it earlier, Adam, if I have a strong relationship with my boss. I'm probably not gonna take that call from the recruiter when it comes in. When I have, when my boss knows me as a person, knows what, what what income I'm trying to make, knows what goals I'm trying to execute against, I stay an hour longer at work. I make an extra call. I do those, all those, I'm more engaged in what I do. That's discretionary effort that coaches are accountable for creating at all levels within their teams. So that's what that that performance equation leads to, order, complexity, relationship. And now I think Sarah is an expert on what those coaches do that creates that discretionary effort.
2: So to so chime in with some of those specifics that you wanted to hear about, Adam, um, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say about meetings because we've studied meetings a lot too. Yeah. One of the things that, that we see is that good coaches use their meetings really differently. Um, so whether it's a one-to-one meeting or a team meeting, they don't, they don't conduct them in a the traditional way. First of all, one of our findings was actually sometimes they do those meetings less often Than some less productive Uh coaches. So, for example, the best coaches we studied do their team meetings only once a month. They're not doing them every single week. They're they're waiting for the time period where they can make the meeting a lot more meaningful, and have a lot more substance to it, rather than just weekly updates. Um, So that's that's one of the things that we're seeing different. And they also use those meetings much more for education and conversation and back and forth strategy. It's never just updates on, okay, where are you on this project? Or have you got this one done yet? Or let's look at where we are in our percentage goal for the quarter. That kind of update stuff they do, you know, via email or do, you know, whatever in kind of internal communication they have.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: and that, uh-huh. do, real quick, that kind of flies in the face of some of the EOS, you know, <laughs> suggestions and recommendations.
0: Uh, keep keep going with this because uh, you're gonna find this is actually very, very, very close to one of my own issues that I speak about so often. Keep going with this about how we yeah. kind of keep those updating things kind of out of the uh, out of the meetings.
2: Yeah, no great. For example, like a good team meeting when we studied what the best leaders are doing, they are not they're not just taking progress and, and getting, you know, all the teams' updates on various stuff. What they're doing instead is they're using the team meetings to educate. So they will have team members that share best practice. Here's something that I'm doing that's helping us be more successful with our clients that their fellow team members can learn from. Uh they'll have open discussion time where they can talk about a challenge, where a team member can say, Here's something I'm running into. What are you guys facing something Similar and what are you doing to overcome it? Or can you help me strategize together? So team meetings are very much around education and camaraderie and looking towards solutions together as opposed to updates. Um, and that's really key because team members, they want to learn something from a team meeting. If I'm going to spend my time, I want to come out of that meeting more knowledgeable and better able to do my job.
0: Yeah. Uh, let me let me illustrate to you, and this is actually an entire section of my book. That's how important this is.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: About, well, many, many years ago, I was elected president of a professional organization. I had already been on the board of that organization for a few years, and the board had its meetings every month, and these meetings were supposed to go an hour and a half, but they often seemed to go for two hours, two and a half hours. And all the meetings ever were, were people taking up space with words and verbosity, giving long, ponderous oral updates. And I knew that if I was going to be president of the thing for 12 months, I was not going to sit through 12 months of updates. So I came up with this radical idea that I kind of pulled out of the clear blue sky and decided I would test here, is that before the meeting, every member of the board had to submit a report in advance. It consisted of three things, you know, what you're working on, where you need support from the organization, and what ideas you have to bring to the table to grow the organization. Now, these did not have to be term papers. They did not have to be on a specific letterhead. In fact, a quick email with a few bullet points did the job just fine as long as it was clear. And I asked everybody on the board to do this. Well, there were six other people on the board besides me, and if I remember correctly, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it was four of them turned in these reports, and then the other two or other three didn't. So we held the first meeting, and the expectation was everybody would have read each other's reports, because when you submit them to the board, you just submitted it to the board's listserv, so everybody got it. There was no filtering, no summation. Everybody just putting their own thing in advance. The expectation was you read it, and so I went to the people who submitted their reports, and if they tried to reiterate their report, so they wanted to give it an oral format, now I said, I said we've, already, we've already received and read your report and your update. So in your update, you mentioned that you have this event coming up, and you're looking for innovative ways to get the word out because you'd like to get some new faces, at that meeting instead of it being the same 23 people all the time. So what we're going to discuss here at the board meeting tonight is any innovations or any contacts or any outside-the-box thinking among us collectively can get some new faces into that event you have coming up, because that's what you came to us asking for help for. I don't want to know the logistics of the things you've been working on. You already told us that. And then I would say, oh, and then you had this idea for the organization about how we could add an an app to the website to make it easier for people to – I'm making this up, but I'm just coming up with an example people can relate to – where they can easily click a button on the schedule of upcoming events and add that to their Google Calendar and their iCal. So that's your suggestion for moving forward. So we're going to discuss is this something that – Makes the most sense for us to allocate resources to right now because I think it's a good idea. Now we went around those four people that submitted their reports and after the fourth one was done and uh, we had the conversations about their requests and their ideas, I said, guys, even though it was, still a, it was still a half hour left in the meeting, I said, guys, great meeting. We're adjourned. Now the folks who didn't submit reports were furious. Like, what about me? And I said, what about you? I I asked everybody to submit a report in advance, and you, I remember, specifically said that you didn't want to do that. So I guess that either you're not really having anything going on, or you have everything handled so well within your bailiwick that you don't really need our support, so we're not going to take up time. We all have families and things to do. We're not going to take up time for – you if you don't need it, and that went over like a ton of bricks. But here's the funny thing, Bill and Sarah. Here's the funny thing. I stuck to my guns on this, and the results were almost immediate. Beginning with the very next meeting cycle, you had the board members actually in a competition with each other, a friendly competition, to submit the best reports. You had them... Chatting among themselves saying, ha, I got mine in first. Or, hey, hey, come on, Sarah, my report's in. Where's yours? I want to read yours. So what I did, in essence, is I created a sense of this is how we create belonging and this is how we add value. So what I was doing was not in any way exclusionary because I wasn't saying, well, you don't get to speak because I don't want you to speak. It's simply a matter of we want to use our time effectively and by effectively, we don't mean listening to you read off stuff just, to, let's, just so we can all hear you talking. And it sounds like you're doing stuff. So submit your report. Tell us in narrative form what you're doing because we don't have to take up many time to discuss that. And let's focus on where you need support and what ideas you have to grow the organization because that is going to move us forward a lot faster. If you're doing five things right now, I can read five bullet points, and if I have any questions, I'll ask you, but I probably won't because you'll probably be clear. And so, to me, that dovetails, which was you said, about how to use the meetings for different purposes. Now, here I am. I went on for about four minutes.
1: But, but, but here's what's interesting, and that's an amazing example, Adam, and here's why. Because you had an existing structure in place, so the order was set. Nothing back to what right. Sarah and I were talking about earlier, right? Relationship, order, complexity. And you wanted to grow. You wanted to improve it. So in order to do that, you can't do it the same way. So you came back and created discomfort by saying, we're going to now do it differently. So here's what we're going to do. Growth only occurred when you injected, when you got out of order and into complexity. So you see how this ties in together. Team meeting, yes. that what Sarah was describing, is a perfect opportunity to promote healthy order, but also use it in terms of complexity, in terms of making people uncomfortable, stretching them, getting them out of their comfort zones
0: to create growth. I love that. I love that. I think you're absolutely right because now that you mentioned it that way, that did create a level of discomfort for certain people. And it took a little bit of education on my part, a little bit of coaching on my part to make them recognize that this was, that contrary to any belief that this was my way of excluding people's point of view, this was actually me implementing a way to make sure that more of their views got heard. So we're taking less time on things that you can write up in a couple bullet points and more time on the help that you need, and the help that you offer. Exactly. And that's and that's
1: how team meetings are used, to Sarah's point, so inappropriately. But the other things, the, the, the other three, what we call those high-growth activities, that the great coaches, the ones who separate themselves, that produce millions and millions of dollars more revenue per team, um, they also do one-on-one meetings differently and uniquely and consistently. They do, yeah. uh, they provide feedback differently and they do career, de- they have regular career development conversations on. And Ooh. I don't know what we have time to go through there. Sarah, Sarah again knows these better than me, but those yeah. are the, what we refer to as the four high growth activities that the world's best coaches use to create growth.
0: Yeah, basically what you've done there is you've summarized basically everything else we want to cover in the next 10 minutes we have available. So let's cover those things. We want to look at the one-on-one meetings, and we want to look at the career development meetings, which is something that I personally, I think, experienced maybe three times in my seven years in the corporate world. And uh, if we have time, I'd like to spend a moment or two just on how some of your top performing coaches deliver feedback to their teams because I think that we have a disconnect when it comes to feedback. So let's see in the next ten minutes if we can just cover that, those areas. Now we'll pretty much get us to the end of our green room plan, and I'm just going to kind of turn you guys loose on it so that we get the most out of your brilliance and passion.
1: Well, that's very kind. In in that respect, I'm going to turn it over to my brilliant colleague and have her watch because she can do a lot more effectively and efficiently than me. All (laughs) right.
2: I, I'd i like to start with career development just because it's one that doesn't happen very often. When we start serving teams on which coaching activities are currently being conducted with them, career development comes back as the one that's least frequent. Uh, and, and that's because most managers don't know how to have a good career discussion because they think of a career discussion in relation to am I going to promote this person? Um, and if I'm not going to uh-huh. promote this person, then why am I talking to them about their career? Uh, but we know that The best coaches understand that career development doesn't necessarily mean promotion. It just means helping you grow, helping you learn, um, helping you advance towards the kind of person you want to be in your role. So that can be the same role. It can be a different role, but it's it's where you want to go in terms of your growth and development. And so the best coaches sit down with their team members at least once a year and ask them questions about their dreams. Um, what talents they have that are not being utilized right now, what they're hoping they can do differently within the next year, uh, where they see themselves a year from now that might look different, uh, who do they want to be learning from in the organization that they're not learning from right now, what, what particular responsibilities would they like to have more of. So they ask them these great questions that really get their team members thinking about how do I want to be learning, Because if we're going to get people outside their comfort zone, we first have to understand what are their goals? Where do they want to go? What what do they want to learn? How do they want to develop? And so at least once a year, these great coaches are having these conversations, asking these questions, and then planning with their team members, you know, a couple things that they can be doing over this next year to help grow their career. And and the challenge, yeah, the challenge with this is that the best coaches, once they help identify that, they also help to hold people accountable for that. Um, because career development can often seem optional. If I'm doing my job day in, day out, if I'm checking the things off my to-do list that I'm supposed to be doing, if I'm a salesperson and I'm hitting my sales number, if I'm not developing my career, nobody's probably going to say anything to me because I'm, I'm getting done my day job, right? I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but the best managers know that if I help people develop in their career, they're going to be more motivated in their current position, and I'm gonna be able to retain them for longer in, in the you know, long-term development. So they push for that. And so if a team member says, you know what, I'm hoping I could grow in this way, I'd like to develop this skill, I'd like to get better at this, their, their coaches hold them accountable for that. They make sure that those team members are actually taking those steps, and, and what they work on as a plan together, they're holding them accountable for making sure that that conversation or that those next steps actually happen. What's What's interesting is our book, The Coaching Effect, was actually born out of a career discussion between Bill and I. He asked okay. me, what, what was my professional dream? Um, and I said to him, you know, some kind of lame answer around, you know, how I wanted to help our company grow or something like that. Uh uh-huh. he, he pushed me he said well i you know i appreciate that but really what's your your dream what's your personal dream for your career what would you look back on you know in 10 15 20 years and say wow i did that um, and i said to write a book that's that would be my professional dream to accomplish that and so he filed that away and eventually you know after submitting our work to many publishers um, surprised me one day, letting me know that we had gotten accepted and that we were that we were going to write this book together. Uh, so it, it goes to show that you really can take those conversations and and help somebody accomplish something professionally that they never thought possible until you kind of challenged them with a question that got them to think about their professional development.
0: Sometimes it is that one question. I. Remember, and I told this story from stages when I've spoken on stages. Is I've been a member of some masterminds, and I remember in one of my masterminds, up until a few years ago, uh, I would come to this group for support. You know, various things I was looking to do with my business, and it seemed like the answer to every question I ever asked was, "Well, what you want to do is you want to you want to offer this." service, and you want to form a, a team and all that, it's like, you know, been there, done that, use the T-shirt as a dust rag. And I noticed the trend. It seemed like everybody else in that, or everybody else in that mastermind got to be high-paid, you know, high-value coaches, high-revenue coaches, consultants, public speakers, published authors, and it seemed like every, but every time it came around, I was supposed to be the person that rendered some The rendered support services to help them achieve that while I stayed in the background. And I said, guys, guys, wait a minute. What about my high ticket consulting? What about my book? What about my speaking? Why is it that it seems like you guys get to do that? And the only thing I ever seem to be good for is helping you achieve it. And so my coach asked me a very important question. And the question was, okay, so what have you done to earn the right and the privilege to coach, to write folks and to speak. And he wasn't saying that in a manner of putting me down or anything like that or trying to make it seem like I was being presumptuous. He was just telling me to get in the mind frame of being able to answer that question for myself. The point being is I had done plenty to earn the right to speak, publish, and coach. It's just a matter that I hadn't thought about that. And I had made that part of how I projected myself to the world is why I kept finding myself in the box. And once I made that shift, then I got to experience more high-ticket consulting. I got a book published. I got on more stages. So just that one question sometimes makes a big difference.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's no, that's great. That's a great example. Help somebody identify what that is, and then all of a sudden they could start working towards that in a, in a whole different way.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm for that. I'm for that completely. So um, I think that's actually about all the time we have here. And what's very interesting about this interview here is we are right near the top of the hour, and our conversation with you guys, Bill and Sarah, is that this is one of those conversations that I love at Business Creators Radio Show. where We just kind of freeform it in a way. We go by the green room structure, but we end up sometimes doing things a little bit out of order. I mean, uh, everybody knows that when people come on the Business Creators radio show, they or their agents submit a list of suggested interview questions. And what happened twice in our conversation is, like, say, I asked you question number two, and you ended up answering questions number two and number three in doing so. That happens sometimes. And what's really great about that is it gave us the opportunity to share some anecdotes and some stories and a couple case studies here, so we got to have a lot of fun with it. Before we go, uh, Bill Ekstrom and Sarah Worth of Excel Institute, just tell us a little bit about somebody's leaning in. They want to discover more about this coaching effect. Uh, what does that experience look like, and how can they get a hold of you, and uh, what do you have to offer them?
1: Um, well, by the way, thank you for that question that that's very gracious of you um, I, I think th- the best way obviously they can learn it would be to call us <laughs> I mean, my goodness right. and sometimes we're, people are afraid to do that um, but you know we, we always welcome personal conversations obviously then the second best way and the most logical way where people would do would be to go to our website and learn um, about really what the coaching effect is yes it's the title of the book. But it's really the coaching effect is really about putting together a performance system that helps leaders or coaches or managers perform at higher levels. It's about quantifying how good they are now. It's about giving them the tools to improve and measuring those outcomes down the road. Um, there's all different kinds of ways people can engage as simply as buying the book. They can become a kind of ours in, in a variety of ways. They can come to one of our Coaching Effect workshops. Great. I mean, there's just a, there's litany of things they can do, but I think, it, like everything else, like we, it all starts with a relationship. Ultimately, that's where we want to get to know people. We want to know what makes them tick. We want to know what they're trying to accomplish and uh, see if we can help them at, on that wonderful journey because coaches and managers and leaders, they affect more lives than they ever thought. And that's we want to make sure those that effect is really, really positive.
0: Absolutely. So uh, your website, I'll just give this out to people, it's ExcelInstitute.com, but it's spelled E-C-S-E-L-L Institute, not E-X-C-E-L, E-C-S-C-L-L, Excel. So I wanted to make sure everybody has that. You can go to Bill and Sarah's profiles on our website, and you can see that for yourself. So, uh, Bill Ekstrom, Sarah Worth, authors of The Coaching Effect, and co-founders of Excel Institute, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Thank you, Adam. It thank has been so an much, honor. Thank you so much, Adam. If everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please tune in at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.